Well, a few weeks ago, I had the great privilege of joining uh, a few others from Bethel and um, some others from my former church, which is our sister eco church in Cincinnati, to go on a mission trip to Scotland. It was incredible and beautiful. And in August, we'll do a missions minute where we share a little bit more about that trip and we'll share some pictures with you as well. But for the purpose of today, I just wanted to share a little bit about our day off. So towards the end of the week, we got a day off to just kind of explore a little bit in Scotland. We chose to go on a private tour of the Scottish Highlands, which if you've never been, are just so magical. <clears throat> our tour guide was a guy named Henry, and he was recommended to us by the missionaries that we were there serving with. So Henry, they knew him through church. They went to church with him, and he had started a few years ago a tour company with another member of their church. So that was all we knew about him. He was a Christian believer. Uh, it was an amazing day. We got to see some incredible sights, um, and we even got up as far north as Glenfinnan, if you're familiar with uh, Scotland, which is pretty far north which means that we had a lot of time in the van. Uh, it was a lot of driving. And so while we were driving, we asked Henry, hey, uh, we know that not very many people are walking with the Lord here in Scotland. Um, and so we're curious, how did you become a believer? And so as we were driving, he shared his story with us. And it was wild. It was a wild story full of totally unexpected twists and turns. We don't have time for me to tell it to you, but here is what stood out to me. Henry met Jesus while reading an English Bible, the first one he'd ever read, in a Dubai prison. You heard that correctly. Henry was living a wild life without a care in the world for Jesus, God, the Bible, or ethics of any kind. While he was living overseas, his choices landed him in prison. And it was there that God introduced Henry to an Indian Christian who was also in prison with him. This man was so eager to read the Bible and to get some encouragement and inspiration from the words of God. But he knew that he did not have any rights to ask for one due to his nationality. And so he met Henry. He said, hey, you're a Westerner. You can ask for this and they'll have to give it to you. So will you please... Maybe out of boredom, Henry agreed and asked for a Bible. Perhaps also out of boredom, Henry decided while he was in his jail cell one day to open up that Bible and to start reading. Well, he started out in the Gospels, and as he read along, Henry met Jesus for the very first time. As he kept reading more and more about this Jesus, he became convinced that Jesus was truly the Son of God. Next, after the Gospels, he eagerly read Romans, where God showed him the weight of his guilt and sin, the condemnation that he was living under. But as he kept reading, Henry was amazed to see that Jesus had taken all of that guilt and condemnation on himself, even the punishment that Henry deserved. He had died in Henry's place. There in that tiny jail cell in Dubai, 
Henry accepted the free gift of grace and eternal life through Jesus, and God changed his heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Now, when I tell you it's almost unbelievable to hear this story come out of his lips, please know that I'm telling the truth. We experienced Henry as the warmest, most jovial, and most genuine believer. Henry had learned. He had become enraptured by the gospel, and he was committed to living his life sold out for Jesus. He was committed to using his tour business to do God's work in God's way. As I listened to his story, I was reminded once again of the power of God's word. As we read last week in the first half of Acts chapter 17, God used his word to powerfully persuade and win over the Jews in Berea. They examined it daily and they saw, as Henry did, that Jesus truly is the promised Son of God, that he has both power and authority to cleanse us of our sin and to make us right with God. Though we may forget it sometimes or even take it for granted, the Word of God has power, power to change our whole lives. That's what it did for the Apostle Paul. That's what it did for Henry, and that's what it will do in the passage that we're going to read today. So let's open his word this morning with expectation. If you have a Bible with you, uh, go ahead and open it. If you don't, there's some in the pew in front of you. Uh, We're going to turn to Acts chapter 17, and we're going to start reading in verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. And I know we're only one verse in, but I'm going to pause us here. So the word that we read there as provoked, it actually means more than that. The Greek word is paroxino, which is a deeply emotional word. So Paul is here waiting for the others to join him. Remember, he had left behind half his party to help and encourage and teach the Berean Christians. It was too dangerous for them, for him to stay. But he left behind half his party to encourage and teach and solidify their faith. So as he's waiting, we don't know if this was an intentional wait or if it was kind of accidental. But as he's waiting, he begins to look around him and see these idols. Some alternate translations for this word are to irritate, to stimulate, to burn with anger, or to sharpen. It's a feeling that evokes action. So Paul is looking around in Athens. He's looking at their way of life. He's looking at the objects of their worship He was so grieved that he literally could not hold it in any longer. He had to share the truth with him. And that's where we're going to rejoin the story in verse 17. So he, being Paul, reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. 
And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the, Athen- all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with the inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So we'll pause again here. Now Paul has just quoted from the work Phenomena, which I'm sure that all of you have read that, right? Phenomena. It was by the Greek poet Eratus. The Greek name of the work, Phenomena, it sounds like its English counterpart, Phenomena. The first half of this poem describes the constellations and other celestial phenomena. The second half focuses primarily on stories about weather. And I know what you're thinking, gripping, right? Though it may not sound like a page-turner to us, Eratus's writings were very popular in the Greek and Roman world, and they would definitely have made the Athens Times bestseller list, if there was one. So what do we learn? What do we learn from this random bit of trivia? We learn that Paul, a Jew, was well-versed in Greek poetry and philosophy. So much so that he could accurately and aptly quote from popular works during an impromptu sermon. He read what the people read. He studied what the people studied. He had his finger on the pulse of the culture that he was ministering to. Remember at the beginning when I talked about our mission trip to Scotland? We did outreaches during our trip, and I think that those would not have gone terribly well if we were not adaptable, if we hadn't been listeners and observers of the culture, if we hadn't wanted to know more about the people that we were proclaiming the gospel to. We were shocked, literally, to find that our most successful outreach was our dog park outreach. We learned that the Scots are having fewer children and instead getting dogs. Does that sound familiar? Their dogs are basically their children, and they treat them like it. Loving their dogs well was an instant connection with people. And guess what? It was so easy. It's so easy to love on a cute dog. 
Paul understood this. He understood that he needed to target his message to the people that were actually listening to it. I can guarantee you that he never went into a Jewish synagogue and quoted Eratus. That would have been out of place. But in the middle of the Athens marketplace, it was not only acceptable, it showed great discernment and care on his part. A refusal to learn about the people that you are sharing Jesus with and adapt your message accordingly makes you not a missionary, but a colonizer. What's the difference? A missionary wants the culture to be shaped by Jesus and his values. A colonizer wants a culture to be shaped by their own values, to bend to their own opinions and convictions rather than to kingdom values. Are you ever guilty of that? When you look at the lives of unbelievers around you, whether you're neighbors or coworkers, relatives or friends, do you long for them to look more like you, to talk more like you, to watch and listen to and read the same things as you? Is your focus on them becoming like you or on them becoming like Jesus? Keep that question in mind as we go back now, starting in chapter 29. Sorry, verse 29. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked him. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed. Among them also were Dionysius the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. In his old, well, I guess old now, book, Peace Child, the missionary Don Richardson tells about his family's move to Papua New Guinea. They were living in a harrowing time. It was the 1960s in a place that was full of savage cannibals and headhunters. For years, Don labored to learn the language of these people so that he could communicate the good news of Jesus to them, to these people that were living in the deepest depths of darkness. But he struggled. It message did not take. God broke through one day when he urged Don to use a recent heartbreaking event that had happened to a tribe in the family as an analogy for the story of Jesus. When he did, Don found a breakthrough. The people finally understood not just the literal words that he was saying, that wasn't the problem, but the deeper meaning behind them. The people slowly started turning to Jesus. It was the key that unlocked their hearts. 
Don writes in the book about his dawning understanding that God had embedded stories in every culture that can be used to point to and help the people understand the gospel. Our job as Christians, as missionaries, as you are all fellow missionaries with us, is to find those stories. He says in his book, in the Sawi, which is the people that he worked with, in the Sawi universe, not only man, but all things are communicating. All things are communicating. Paul seemed to deeply understand that truth. Even the Greek poets, even the philosophers, as image bearers, they could not help but reflect God's truth. God then uses those bits, those little corners, those little tiny bits of his image in what they say to point to the ultimate truth, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is what they have been searching and longing for. All things were communicating. What if we put on those cultural glasses when we went about our daily lives? Might we begin to see truth in an episode of Ted Lasso? Or in a line from the book, A Man Called Tove? Or through a beautiful home that we see on Instagram? or a sunset that we watch with our neighbors. John Calvin wrote the following words in his commentary on the Psalms. The whole world is a theater for the display of the divine goodness, wisdom, justice, and power. But the church is the orchestra, as it were, the most conspicuous part of it. And the nearer the approaches are that God makes to us, the more intimate and condescending the communication of his benefits, and the more attentively are we called to consider them. What if we began to look at the world this way, as a theater for the display of God's character and us as the orchestra? I don't know about you, but I sure do enjoy an evening at the theater a whole lot more than an evening in the lecture hall. What if we could start to communicate the good news of Jesus in a way that felt more like good theater than a lecture? What if it was a story that drew people in, that connected them at a heart level, and that stuck with them? Maybe then we would start to hear responses like Paul did in Athens. We will hear you again about this. I don't know if you remember the last time I preached, but we were in Acts chapter 9. And at that point of the story, Paul was rough around the edges, to say the least. He was brash, he was sometimes off-putting, and he was confrontational. But we see a different Paul here in chapter 17. He's softer. He's a listener, a learner, a man who is content to wait until he is stirred up by the Spirit to say not just something, but the right thing. Kate Bowler, in her works, I don't know if you've heard of her, she's a contemporary writer, she writes a beautiful prayer uh, that we can use as we wait on God's spirit. And it says this, God bless all the people in pain who share this present time and space with us, whose lives are yet an unwritten book, just like ours 
Come and write your words of love that we may speak in our words and actions in ways that heal our past and stir up our hope for our future. God, I will openly admit that my plan was to rescue us all. Pry this out of my hands and absolve my guilt. Calm my spirit. Let me allow you to do the impossible and bear up the weight of the world that I am determined to carry alone. Do you ever feel that way? Like you're carrying the weight of the world? Sometimes when we read these missionary stories from the Bible, we can feel the weight of the world starting to rest on our shoulders. Like everyone's salvation depends on us. We can get so mired down by what we haven't done, by the people that we haven't shared with, words that we haven't spoken, that we can get lost in our own not-enoughness. That's not where God wants you to go with this or any scripture. If you're hearing those words, believe me, those are not spoken by him. I believe that Paul's experience in Athens, rather than leaving us with a heavier burden of responsibility, is intended to lighten our load with these three liberating truths. Number one, sharing the good news isn't as hard as we want to make it. Number two, God has surrounded us with living pictures of who he is. And number three, the hard work belongs to God. All I have to do is tell the truth. So let's tease these out so that we can apply them this week. Number one, sharing the good news isn't as hard as we want to make it. Remember when I was telling you about the dog park outreach? It didn't feel hard. It actually felt joyful because I love dogs. It's super easy for me to talk to, pet, and generally dote on a cute dog. And it always opened up a door for deeper conversation, literally 100% of the time. We don't always need to pull out a little gospel tract in order to have a spiritual conversation. Sometimes we can just relate to people about everyday things that we have in common. We can just be fellow humans. God will meet us in our willingness and obedience when we are motivated by his love. Number two, God has surrounded us with living pictures of who he is. Once you start to see God and the world around you, you won't be able to unsee him. I was talking on the phone with Pastor Mike as I was driving home from uh, the leadership meeting last uh, Monday. I literally stopped in the middle of my sentence as I was driving on Hayden Run over the bridge. The sunset was so beautiful that I had to stop and say something. It was so breathtaking. It's as simple as that, noticing God in the world around us and helping others to notice him as well. A sunset, a child's laugh, a delicious pie, a moving piece of music, all those point back to God's good, kind character. Number three, the hard work belongs to God. All I have to do is tell the truth. I cannot tell you how liberating this was to me when I learned it as a missionary in China. My job was no longer to convince, convict, or convert anyone. My job was simply to confess what is true about God, true about myself, and true about the world. His job was to do the hard work of changing their heart in his time and according to his wisdom. 
I am then freed up to say what is true in a language that the person, figuratively and literally, can understand, and just to leave the results to God. So do you remember Henry that I talked about at the beginning? If you looked at Henry's life choices, you would never, and I mean never, guess that God was up to something in his life. And yet, he came to meet him using a random stranger in a prison in Dubai. That random stranger opening his mouth and being obedient to say, you should ask for a Bible. God moves in mysterious ways all around us. All things are communicating. Verse 27. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Friends, may we help others to find him. He is near and he is lovingly waiting for them. Amen. Receive the benediction of the Lord. May you go out this week and delight in singing of your Redeemer, in your words, in your actions, in everything you do and everything you are. May you delight of singing his grace, his goodness, his kindness to everyone you come in contact with. And may they be forever changed by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen.